are now listening to Shy Sox Weekly, hosted by Tony Marchese and John Suarez. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into Shy Sox Weekly, episode 31. I am John Suarez, joined with you today by my co-hosts, Tony Marchese and Johnny Nani. How you guys been? John, it's uh, still not good in White Sox land. Um, I don't know how you're holding up. I know Johnny and I had a chance to talk last week about the Machado stuff. I know you have some stuff to say about that today, but uh, still not really doing all too well. Maybe a little bit better than last week, but not all too well. Uh, Johnny, how about you? Uh, if I had to summarize it, the world's falling apart. Um I mean, it, spring training, you know, usually it's an exciting time of the year, even in the past years, but now there's just this big letdown, and uh, like I said, it's just disappointing overall, so uh, that's that's kind of my state right now. Well, at least you get to get out of the uh, the Chicago weather a little bit over the next uh, week, Johnny, um, so you have a little bit of uh, something to look forward to, I guess, even though I don't know how close you want to be to White Sox baseball, but I hear you're taking a little trip down to Arizona. Yeah, that's right. On uh, Sunday, I'll be flying down uh, myself and Andrew Kinsler, Shy Sox Weekly blogger. Um, this will be our third year in a row going down to Sox Spring Training. Uh, we'll be catching three White Sox games from Monday through Thursday, and they have an off day on Wednesday. So we'll be hitting up their practice in the morning, uh, get some you know, video and pictures of live BP and whatever other drills they're doing on the backfields. And then we'll also be seeing a couple of um, other games that are just random teams. I think like uh, Giants, Rangers or something like that. But it'll be it'll still be fun. I mean, it's disappointing right now, but I'm sure as soon as I get out there, uh, you know, get the uh, weather depression lifted when I'm sitting 75 and sunny watching baseball on Monday afternoon. So cracking a few cold ones out in the heat. Yeah. While we're back yes. here, while John and I are back here in this lovely, I think it's going to be like negative two again next week and some snow and all that other shit that happens here in Chicago in March. Um, John, how have you been, man? Yeah, I've been all right. Um, it's been a rough fucking week. I haven't talked with you guys since that happened. So thank you guys so much for uh, basically putting that uh, episode out and telling everybody what it is about just the White Sox in general. And what happened, guys? Bryce Harper just signed with the Phillies today. So we got a lot that we're going to break down. We do have a guest that we're going to bring everybody. Guest that we've been trying um, to have on the show for probably a whole year now. That's that's funny. So um, I actually was going to bring this up. I don't know if Tony remembered or not, but we actually, like, we didn't name drop him, but we, like, hinted at the fact that we were going to have this certain guest on and, like, Maybe the third or fourth episode yeah, of Shy Sox we Weekly. We're going to go ahead and get him on in the front end of the episode for you guys. Talk mostly White Sox and then some um, MLB stuff. And then we'll uh, finish off the episode, just us three. And we'll look forward into like spring training's been going on. There's been, I think, six games that have played so far. So uh, we got a lot that we're going to talk about. And without further ado, we are joined now by Justin Havens. He's a producer for Barstool Sports Starting Nine Baseball Podcast formerly of ESPN. Justin, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, man. How are you guys? Doing well. Yeah, we're doing good. Thanks yeah. so much for coming on, Justin. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. It's a good day to come on. We finally had some fucking news. Yeah, yes. very fucking much. It's been a long winter, Justin. Uh, how, how have you held up uh, as a 
as a baseball fan with some of the stuff that's gone on this offseason? Um, you know, it's kind of like a glass is half full, glass is half empty situation, depending on what sort of mood I'm in. Like, you can either look at it from the perspective of the two biggest stars took the entire offseason before they signed, and there was a lot of dead time, and that sort of sucked. But the other way to look at it is that if these guys had signed in November or at the winter meetings in December, then we would have gone the better part of two or two and a half months with very little to entertain us. Um, so, you know, the fact that there was some drama in the off season right up until the very end, in fact, in the spring training is maybe becoming the new normal, but, um, you know, I like to complain like anybody else. So it was frustrating at times to, you know, to see John Heyman tweet the same thing, 50 different ways um, and not really be providing anybody with any insight. But, um, you know, I think we got the, in some ways we got the resolutions that we anticipated the entire time, at least in terms of, you know, contract magnitude. The one that got away from me signed back in December. So um, free agency has been kind of a wash for me since Michael Brantley signed with the Astros. Yeah, so, so. <laughs> so John was a big one of the White Sox signing Michael Brantley. So it's been a really bad offseason for him. But Justin, uh, before we get into the weeds with some of this baseball talk, why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from. Favorite like team. That, good stuff. Favorite team, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I mean I've, been, I've been a baseball fan my entire life. Uh, I grew up a fan of the Cleveland Indians. Uh, so I'm kind of with you on that Michael Brantley frustration. Uh, the Indians being too cheap to extend him the qualifying offer was like the bane of my offseason. Um, but, yeah, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Um, I've lived kind of all over the country at different points. Uh, got into baseball uh, as a career uh, when I got to ESPN, basically, um, where I was a researcher for Baseball Tonight for uh, about five or six years. So, yeah, involved in the show for seven or eight. Uh, so... That was obviously a really neat experience that uh, afforded me the opportunity to uh, travel to uh, a number of different ballparks across the country and to see some pretty cool stuff, wild card games, uh, World Series games, stuff like that. So I've been very fortunate in that regard. And, uh, you know, that led me to, you know, to eventually uh, leaving and starting up, um, you know, some of the barstool baseball stuff. And now, you know, exclusively doing the podcast with Dallas and Jared. Um, but yeah, I'm an Indians fan. I would say that I'm not the fan that I was uh, growing up. I think I'll ever care. I cared in, you know, when they lost the Marlins series. If you cover the game for long enough, um, particularly at a national level, I think you inevitably lose some of that hardcore individual team fandom. But you know, I still talk to my grand my grandfather, uh, who's 94 years old, uh, about the Indians. You know, he watches uh, on a daily basis during the regular season. So it's a cool thing, like it is for all of us. You know, kind of brings family together, and that's why baseball is the best. Absolutely, that's a, an excellent answer, Justin. In your time covering baseball, uh, what's your favorite ballpark that you've gotten to visit? Do you have anything about that you could shed light on being in the media? something that's a little bit different that, you know, the average fan doesn't get to experience at the ballpark? Um, so, I mean, I don't think I have any groundbreaking answer for favorite ballpark. Um, I have, I really like the experience at Wrigley Field. Uh, I know that's going to kind of fly in the face of this podcast that I'm joining right now. 
Um, but uh, that's always kind of been like I went to high school outside of Chicago, uh, out in out in St. Charles uh, in the suburbs, and you know, going to, I went to both Cubs and White Sox games. But there were some special times at Cubs games that kind of I'll always remember fondly. And you know, going to the 2016 World Series, even though the Indians lost. You know, seeing the historical relevance of what was going on in 2016, uh, even if you hate the Cubs, um, was pretty cool to see. Um, so I'll always have that, and thus Wrigley will always kind of have a special place. Um, but uh, San Francisco, I guess that whatever they're now calling it, it was AT&T, uh, it was Pac-Bell, it's now Oracle, right? Um, yeah. That is a spectacular <laughs> – that is – like, Isn't that what the Warriors re- call their arena? Yeah, I think I think it's like I, I think they just renamed it. It is what it is what the uh, Warriors call their arena too. So maybe they're just buying up the whole area. But it sounds um, like Charlotte with the uh, with the Knights with the yeah, BBNT or BB&T, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh right, right, right. yeah. Um, the uh, but that's just like a breathtaking ballpark, and the surrounding area is very cool and. You know, you can just walk around the exterior concourse of the stadium and, like, constantly have a good view of what's going on in the field while also taking in, um, you know, kind of water, the surrounding water in the bay and stuff like that, which is just, you know, it's a great place to see a ball game. Um, I was fortunate enough to go out there during two of the World Series um, trips for the Giants. So, yeah, I would say those are my answers. I also thought – I think Pittsburgh lives up to the hype. Um, that team is obviously not much of an attraction at the moment, but um, that ballpark is pretty damn cool. And walking over uh, the Clemente Bridge is uh, something I would recommend for any baseball fan. Uh, yeah, so I would say those are my answers. Although I, I really can find some level of enjoyment out of almost any ballpark I've been to. Herrera has a chance to break camp with the Pirates. Let's not get into Melky Cabrera. This, this really <laughs> into, into this. But uh, you bring up a team that uh, that's not they're not really an attraction. That that would be the White Sox. As part of the national media, we we get a limited view here in Chicago as White Sox fans. We get we basically have White Sox Twitter to go on. So, what's the national take on the White Sox rebuild thus far, and kind of how they failed to get free agents this offseason? What what's the national take on on what this team's doing? So I I guess my impression of the White Sox rebuild to this point and where the organization stands from a national media perspective is a little underwhelmed. Um, I think I, like a lot of people, had massive expectations entering last season for um, Mankata and Kopik. Like, not necessarily that they would contribute immediately or that they would be up immediately, but that last year would kind of be a an important year to kind of signal like how far along in the rebuild they were. Um, and to me, like you just go down the line of like the key players or the guys who are advertised as key players in this rebuild. And to me, it's been underwhelming. Um, you know, Mankata scuffled uh, last season, you know, the 217 strikeouts or whatever it was. I know you guys know all of this stuff. Um, he was disappointing relative to expectations and relative to being marketed as, you know, the number one or number two prospect in all of baseball um, at the time of the trade. Kopik obviously was electric in the very brief moment that we got to see him 
um, was really strong in the minor leagues leading up to his promotion uh, and then blew out, which is not necessarily the fault of anybody. But if we're talking about the success of a rebuild, uh, losing your top pitching prospect for, you know, essentially an entire season's worth of time is a setback. Um, you know, Tim Anderson has been a useful ball player, but is not to this point an impact level baseball player. Uh, Lucas Giolito, who, you know, was also advertised as a frontline starter or, you know, something near that. Um, Torch him. We have know, words for Lucas Giolito, so please go yeah, on. Torch Giolito. <laughs> don't don't I mean, hold back. Don't be bashful. You can make a case that he was the worst pitcher in baseball last season, the worst there starting pitcher. Um, and it's, you know, his stock has been headed in the wrong way for quite some time. But even if you, you know, even if you marked him down from what he was at his peak prospect with the Nationals, you're still hoping for a useful mid to back end of the rotation arm. And he wasn't even able to deliver that. Now he's still young. Maybe he will. Uh, Carlos Rodon, who, again, another, I, I don't remember exactly where he was picked, but another top 10 three overall draft pick for the White Sox. Yeah. I mean, I know he, there were parts of last season where he looked like he might be turning corners, but at the end of the year, it was 90 strikeouts and 55 walks and 120 and two thirds innings. His FIP is fielding independent pitching. His FIP has gone up every single year he's been in the big leagues. And this was a guy who was not advertised as a pitch to contact guy. Like he was advertised as a swing and miss pitcher. And he had 90, like, 90 strikeouts in 120 and two thirds is like unheard of in today's game. Like you just don't, like you don't really see that anymore. Um, so I guess like that, that to me is the frustrating part. Obviously Eloy is perhaps the most important element of this entire rebuild. And we have not seen him fail yet. Uh, I don't think he's going to, I think he's going to be uh, maybe the, the guy who truly delivers in all of this. Um, but you know, to this point, I think the White Sox are still further away than they anticipated they would be entering 2019. So you just brought up Eli Jimenez, and I kind of want to bounce a quick question off you because um, that's a pretty hot topic, obviously. With the White Sox failing to sign like a keynote free agent and Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, do you think that's going to add like more pressure to a guy like Eloy Jimenez to produce right away? Because obviously there's not anybody to really – fall back on like a star like he's gonna have to everybody's expecting him to be this like absolute stud like right away do you think there's gonna be any like learning curve for him in the major league level um yeah i mean i think there will be the nice the thing that you you know the nice thing about him is that unlike a lot of you know corner outfield high power type of guys his last experience in the minor leagues you know was actually a really modest in fact really impressive strikeout rate so he's not what he's not like Mankata where he's coming up where he was still striking out 25, 30% of the time in the minor leagues. And you just hoped something would click in the big leagues. Like Jimenez, um, like last season, he struck out basically 15% of his plate appearances between double A AA and triple A. Like that's awesome. Um, so I do, I do think he's going to live up to it. I do think like, you know, the question of more pressure on him is an interesting one because on one hand, I don't think anybody is seriously considering the White Sox to be like a real, a real threat next season. Like maybe a lot of things click right. And they're like a fringe wild card team in a league where five teams make the playoffs. Like that's obviously a possibility, but 
So, like, there isn't that pressure, like, hey, this is supposed to be a playoff team. Eloy, you must carry this immediately. But I do think, like, realistically speaking, from a White Sox, you know, from a fan perspective, from a people in Chicago wanting to attend games perspective, like, they were kind of, there was this carrot led throughout much of the offseason, like, hey, we are real players for Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. Um, And then, as obviously, they didn't get either one of those guys. And if Eloy comes up, and scuffles or is like not really impressive right away. I do think there will be some level of angst that, I mean, more angst than already exists within the fan base where you're like, okay, like every single thing we've been promised to this point has been underwhelming. Like whether that's performance based or in Kopik's case, like it was awesome for a second and then it was taken away from us. Like I could see that adding to the frustration, but I do think he's going to succeed and succeed quickly. Okay. Awesome. So as far as that angst, I think it's already reached almost a boiling point. I don't know how far you dive into random sections of club followings, Twitters and, and all that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you get, you know, some of these media guys actually commenting in news stories in, you know, the Chicago Tribune about how White Sox Twitter feels about, the moves that have been made or not made, have you, by Rick Hahn and the front office of the Chicago White Sox, it's at a boiling point, Justin. It, it's been bad. I would say fan interest, Johnny, and, and I know you're a big, big time mad about all this. You're mad online, as you like to yep. say. You're mad on, on Twitter.com on Twitter. Twitter. about everything that's gone on. I know John Suarez, Shy Sox, John, you even put out a tweet that said, I don't even think I'm going to go to the ballpark and all this year. We'll um, talk about that. Yeah, so so Justin, I mean this this fan base is completely torn down by what's happened at this off season. Is Eloy the only thing that that's going to save them? I don't know if you have uh, looked into uh, Nick Madrigal, but I'm curious what your take is on the uh, White Sox recent first round draft pick. I saw a quote earlier, uh, I think it was yesterday, that Rick Hahn had quoted something about you know what do we do next, and one of the answers was you get to watch Nick Madrigal every day. Do you think that rushing guys up to the majors is going to be the answer that's going to right this ship? Or do you think that there's actually serious work that needs to be done as far as outside additions for this club? I mean, to me, like the Madrigal and outside additions thing or rushing people, like there is still, to me, like so much that needs to be determined by the people that are already on this roster in terms of determining the, the ultimate trajectory or what's appropriate for the team moving forward. Like Bryce Hart in a way, Bryce Harper or Manny Machado makes sense or fits almost every single roster in baseball. Like maybe not the Marlins, maybe not the Orioles and the Royals, but like almost anybody else you can squint and be like, yeah, it makes sense to put them on this, on the team. And I think the white Sox and the Padres and the Phillies were examples of that where, like, I, I don't think the White Sox are ready to win right now. And if you put one of those guys on there who's, who's 26 years old, so he can be like the, the older end of your young core, um, that makes sense. But, like, I don't know what the right step for the White Sox is right now in terms of, like, pursuing outside additions because I don't really know what they have on this roster. Like, I don't – they could have essentially nobody – they could have a half a dozen cornerstone type players 
and we may know that by the end of the season, they could have two, right, or one. And so, like, you know, does – I mean, let's just use the player who's still out there on the free agent market, like Dallas Keuchel is still out there. Um, does going out and getting a Dallas Keuchel or going out and trading an asset for an impact starting pitcher who's available on the market make sense? I don't think so because like, I don't think you can commit that much to the future, like, or in present day assets to, to go and acquire somebody like that, because I don't know enough about what this team has, if that makes sense. I mean, you're not wrong because in, especially in recent years in White Sox history, offense has been more so the struggle. I mean, the bullpen's been dog shit the last couple of years, which we can dive into if we want to, but we had good pitching for a couple of years. Not the best pitching, yep. but we had we had playoff-worthy pitching with a one-two punch in Chris Sale and Jose Quintana. So you, there's no point in going to get a Dallas Keuchel and adding him into what we have together right now as a starting rotation and thinking we're going to do anything with it. Because I promise you, in White Sox history, that has not worked out. For sure. And like... Uh... To that point, like, again, there's a difference between spending money on a 26-year-old superstar making sense and just spending money in general making sense. And I don't think exactly. anybody I don't think anybody would say the White Sox are a candidate to spend big money generally because we're talking about a team. Again, I, I know you guys know all this, so I'm not, like, telling no, you that you don't know. But, like, six straight years with under 80 wins. Like, well below 500, we've been – there's 67 and 62 wins in the last two seasons. So this is not a in a normal off-season environment. This would not be a team where you're like, why aren't they spending? Why aren't they spending? Like, yeah. when are they going to take the next step? Because nobody would think that this is now the time. It was just such a unique opportunity to add a guy who could fit with the Eloys and could fit with the Moncadas and Copics and stuff like that and not have it be, like, wildly out of place in terms of the competitive cycle of the team. This is really interesting coming from somebody nationally, I think, guys. Um, I don't know if you guys agree, but I, I know a lot of us, we feel that pain as fans right up against the the Machado signing, watching Bryce Harper get signed. It's, it's an interesting take. And, uh, Johnny, I think you wanted to jump in here. Yeah, so, Justin, you know, you had mentioned you don't really know what you have completely yet. Um, I agree with that, yep. you know, just with the way, you know, where guys are in their development, what stage of the minor leagues they're at. Um, part of that has been due to injuries too. You know, you have the Kopech that sets him back. Luis Robert basically lost a season last year being sure. out so many times. Um, so you have issues like that, but what I wanted to, we were talking about national perception of the White Sox here and their pursuit, at least for us, their pursuit of Manny Machado or the minimal that they did of Bryce Harper was an absolute joke. Um, and that, they kind of made a clown show of it right after Machado signed. I don't know if you paid attention to any of that, but I wanted to see if there was any national reaction to how Ken Williams and Rick Hahn's conflicting statements after that went down, because we were all livid here um, in the White Sox fan community. Um, and I think it's just a bad look nationally. I think it's a terrible perception, but I just wanted to hear if there was uh, any outside sort of insight to that. Yeah, I thought it was a little bizarre. Um, I thought that, you know, I, I guess the one image that stood out to me was, you know, the scene of Kenny Williams in his sunglasses, because I think he said he didn't want the press to see how surprised he was that they lost out or whatever it was, something along those lines. Um, and 
I don't know. And then there was the confusion over like whether or not the team has a club policy on no trade clauses um, or opt outs and stuff like that. So it was to me, like, I just don't know how you could be surprised or uh, have internal conflict about this not being the winning offer. Like it, there was so much, um, you know, the team options, the, the uh, vesting options, however they structured the back end of that deal. Like it, it clearly to me, at least, obviously it was not going to be a competitive or winning offer. And, you know, I think it's just a little bit unfortunate that, um, you know, Reinsdorf has run the team generally in the way that he has. Like, I don't, I, I hesitate to blame, you know, the GM or the front office in a situation like this, when the ownership has been, I mean, Reinsdorf's owned the team for as long as I can personally remember. Um, I don't know exactly when he bought it, but um, the team has had such a long history of not issuing serious long-term money deals that it's hard for me to blame Han on this one. Like this to me feels like there was an extent that Reinsdorf was willing to go. And if Machado's best offer, it was, you know, 250 million with another hundred million or $80 million in potential incentives that he probably was never going to reach. Then I guess he was willing to, to go for it. But uh, t- to me, this is a guy who has operated his franchises generally on the cheap side. Uh, that goes for both the White Sox and the Bulls, um, which is kind of crazy given ch- the market that Chicago is. But, um, you know, there was always something like a little bit like, you know, you kept seeing what is the largest contract that the White Sox have ever given out. And it's, it's Jose Abreu. So, and I know, uh, you know, yeah. So the idea that he was going to be issuing a $300 million contract always seemed like a little bit off, like at least with the Padres you had as terrible of a deal as it is. Like you at least had the Eric Hosmer contract where it was like, okay, these guys have extended themselves. Like they were one of the big buyers at last season's off season. Maybe that was the gateway drug, so to speak, to get into the Machado sweepstakes. And, um, so it's hard for me to splice or to assign blame to, you know, specific parties or whatever, but it does seem like the White Sox front office did not come off looking good from a, you know, uh, bird's eye view national perspective in this whole thing in really any way whatsoever justin do you think that has any ramifications when they go and try and sign their next you know premier talent free agent because one of the things that rick Hahn has said is that you know this isn't the only time that they're going to go and try and have a seat at the table with some of these top tier guys yeah i think like i don't think it does them any favors uh but i will say that i like i think it always will go back to um, offering the most money or the structure of a contract that a guy wants. So if it's not the most money, then it's an average annual value thing or whatever. Um, I think if the White Sox get real about like the, the type of contract that it's going to take to land somebody like this, then I think they will be taken seriously the next time around. Um, the problem is, is that how many times are we going to be in a situation where A, the superstar free agent – actually fits with your like winning trajectory timeline. Right. And B, how many times is it going to be a position where like, like, listen, I think we're all on the same page that if the Yankees had offered Manny Machado, um, you know, 
near the most money. The three, if they had offered him ten and three hundred like the Padres did, he would be a New York Yankee right now. Like that seems to be what the reporting was. And likewise, if the Dodgers had offered Bryce Harper the thirteen and three thirty that he ended up with, then I think he would be a Dodger. That seemed to be what the reporting was. Um, so I think the White Sox are always in the mix to if they want to offer the most money. But this was a situation where like the big fish the crown jewel franchises that most people assume these guys want to go to, they weren't really in the bidding. So this was a, this was an opportunity for the White Sox, for the Padres, for the Phillies, even though the Phillies, you know, tend to spend a little bit more than those other two for them to get in there. And maybe that's the case the next time around too. Um, We've seen a lot of big contracts be doled out by non-traditional spenders, I guess in the last half decade, but um, I don't know that you can count on that, and that might be the, you know, the missed opportunity here for the White Sox is that, I guess financially they can always get a seat at the table if they make the biggest offer, but they had a direct path to both of these guys this time. It seemed like particularly Machado, and you know, when you sign a guy's, you know, his nanny and his, um, you know, his Uber driver and his cousins and stuff like that, and then they don't come there and then they spend their time t- telling him about how great San Diego is. That looks a little foolish. It looks silly. You bring up a really good uh, point there, uh, Justin. And it, it's actually one of the next things I was going to ask you about was the fact that John Jay and Yonder Alonzo were brought up in Manny's press conference um, as, you know, part of the reason that he felt comfortable signing in San Diego how are you supposed to feel about that as White Sox fans? I know I, I saw a bunch of people on Twitter calling for them to be DFA'd immediately released from the club. Uh, I don't think it's that simple. In that, uh, in that, in in one of our group chats was you can't just go and do that because it makes you look even worse. John wants to jump in here real quick. They're not even really that funny, but I made a tweet once saw Manny Machado sign with the Padres, and I was like, so does John Jay get DFA'd before opening day or no? <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, like going back to the question about whether this whole situation makes the White Sox look bad or less likely to garner significant interest in the future, I would be like if they DFA Jay and Alonzo like today or before the season started or in April, that would, that would, to me, would be a way worse. That would be a way worse look and way more impactful in terms of future people telling these guys like fuck that, like <laughs> go blow. You know what I mean, like. Yeah, we already got Adam LaRoche just bashing us. Yeah, I don't think that would be well-perceived at all. And, you know, to be honest, like, it's entirely possible that both of those guys are serviceable enough where they set to some C-level prospect uh, at the deadline. Um, But, yeah, I I, I don't know when they're going to be moving on from those guys, but I think they have to at least, they have to at least pretend for a little bit yeah right (laughs) i want you to go back i want you to look forward to opening day and just just picture what a white Sox lineup could look like it's not the sexiest lineup i've ever seen no not at all the the sad part about this is guys from the from the amount of spring training that i've watched is that uh unfortunately yonder alonzo and john jay look like two of our best players um (laughs) they (laughs) were i mean to, to me, the guy who's by far the most interesting from both like a real life perspective, like watching the game from a 
importance for the White Sox future and for, I guess, a fantasy perspective, too, is Mankata. Like, there's just so much going on there in his stat profile, like, that, like, some of it's good, some of it's bad. But to me, like, he's as important as every other person that's going to be on the opening day roster combined. Like, you know, you look at, if you're looking to try and squint and try and find something positive, like you see his September batting line where he hit over 300 with a 369 on base percentage, but like his batting average on balls in play was 452 during that month. So you're like, well, a 301 batting average with a 452 BABIP isn't even like, that's actually a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like that's not encouraging. Um, you know, I mean, you, you look at like his overall season where he had like a top 20 BABIP in all of baseball, but ranked like 125th or 126th in batting average. So it's like, there's something like a miss here. And obviously it's the fact that he doesn't put the ball in play enough. Um, I was looking at it. Like there's obviously a lot of impact here when he does put the ball in play, he's got the same in play slugging percentage as Jose Ramirez, Freeman and Machado. He was ahead of Bregman last year. So like when the bat hits the ball and the ball goes in play, good things happen for Mankata and he shows like the sort of impact level that White Sox fans, general baseball fans, like everybody's been anticipating. But like there's just, as you guys know, as people who watched the games last year, there's so much swing and miss in his game that like he's not even, for much of last season, he wasn't even giving himself a chance to succeed on like a, way too high a percentage of plate appearances. Like we all know the season that Chris Davis had legendarily, historically terrible offensive season. Only Chris Davis and Gallo, who is can only exist as a player because of the power that he has. Only those two had a higher strikeout rate on pitches in the strike zone last year than Mankata. Like Gallo can get away with that to a degree. Like he's, he's fractions away from being out of baseball if Joey Gallo's bat slows down at all, but like Mankata can't really get away with that. He doesn't have quite that much power. So like on one hand, there's a lot to like. And on the other hand, there's like, is he, is he even going to allow himself to tap into all of that potential? And to me, like he's one of the, forget the white Sox, like he's one of the five or six or five or 10 most interesting position players league wide entering 2019. So Justin, That, I mean, that's something to think about there. But uh, for those that don't know, Justin, you and I play in a fantasy baseball league together, and you traded me, Yon Moncada, was it two, year, two I years ago? Um, oh, I want a prediction here. Are you going to regret trading me, Yon Moncada? That's, um, all right, so the, the real answer here is no, because I went on to win the championship in one of those years. So flags fly forever, and I don't think Moncada has done anything to make me – wish that I had not included him in that deal. However, I do think there will be a level of low level regret because I do think he's going to be a, like, even if he doesn't turn into the like full star level player in real life baseball, like I think there's a, there's enough there in terms of counting stats from a fantasy perspective for him to be like pretty damn tantalizing in, in fantasy. Like he could have a dumpy season, and just like run into 20 homers and 20 stolen bases. You know what I mean? With obviously upside for much more. So I think, uh, particularly as a White Sox fan, I think you'll, you'll enjoy it overall. I hope you're right. Yeah, we all hope you're right. (laughs) Um, 
So, Justin, we've gotten pretty uh, intensive in the White Sox stuff here, um, but you know, you're you're a national guy, so uh, we kind of want to bring it back out just a little bit with the way that this offseason has gone down, and so many players still left unsigned right now. Plenty of players uh, voicing their opinion, saying that uh, the process is broken, and you know, different comments like that. Do you think there? is a potential for a strike and what can be done to help prevent that? Yeah. So like in regards to the work stoppage and CBA and all that, I think it's interesting because most of the off season was dominated by the talk of like collusion and, um, you know, bad faith negotiating and stuff like that. And the threat of a work stoppage a few years down the line, but then, you know, a couple of people signed for $300 million and, all of a sudden, maybe that doesn't seem like quite as much of an issue, and maybe there isn't collusion or uh, you know a lack of spending going on. But I don't think it's that simple. Um, I don't think that a I don't think the the tippy top getting paid uh, is necessarily reflective of a healthy uh, functioning market or the way that it should be. Um, I also think that while these deals are eye popping in number, they're not necessarily eye popping relative to um, where the game's revenues are or where, um, you know, pr- uh, scaled to inflation and stuff like that. It's not on the scale of what A-Rod got uh, with the Rangers back in the day. So um, I-, I think there's there's reason to think that the current collective bargaining agreement probably needs some tweaking the next time around. I also think that these teams or the teams, the players, the whole entity – I think they realize how much uh, money is at stake. And I also am optimistic that they are smart enough to realize that um, an an extended absence of baseball uh, like there was in 1994 and into 1995 is a really, really bad idea for baseball at this time and place. Um, I think people, um, I think people will be much more unforgiving uh, about it this time around than they were even last time. Um, When I know, you know, people say it took McGuire and Sosa to save baseball or whatever. I think people, I I don't want to think about the percentage of fans that would just kind of lose it as part of their everyday life and never come back. So I think, I think major league baseball is aware of that. And I ultimately, I don't think there is a work stoppage. I think there's a lot of threats. I think there's a, I think things need to be tweaked, and they will. Um, but I'm currently optimistic that we can avoid something truly ugly. All right. Well, that's good to hear that. I just wanted to kind of get your take on that, just because there has been so much noise about that this offseason sure. from both players and just the process of it all. So, uh, Tony, you wanted to get into a little bit. Uh, we'll bring it back a little regional here, AL Central. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the AL Central. Uh, Justin, you mentioned that you are a Cleveland Indians fan. Um, yep. we, we all know how much of a shit show the AL central is. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what the competitive windows of some of these teams are? How much longer do you think the Cleveland Indians are going to have a stranglehold on this division? Do you think the White Sox are going to be the next team to take this? Or do you think that, uh, the Minnesota twins or the Detroit Tigers, or even the Royals can step up and be the dominant team over the next five, six years? So I don't think there's any evidence that the Tigers or the Royals are in any position to be the dominant team over the next half decade. Like they are, 
just beginning kind of like the the cycle of getting back to relevance like the you know the royals were only didn't get a lot of attention last year because the Orioles were doing what they were doing the Royals were terrible were historically bad last year um and I think they could be kind of like a, uh, a like a freak show kind of interesting this year just because of how many like incredibly fast, you know, potentially high volume base feelers and base runners they have, which in today's game could be kind of like a kind of like a unique viewing experience. But in terms of like actual wins and losses, they're going to be terrible again. And I don't think there's anything about their farm system that suggests they're not like the Padres where they're like kind of burgeoning with a lot of young talent. That's actually close to the big leagues. Like the Royals don't have that. Um, I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in baseball for the better part of the next half decade. So they're out. Um, the Tigers are to me um, one of the more depressing medium term situations in all of baseball because um, their current team is no good. Um, they have, unlike the Royals, they have an enormous amount of money still tied up in Miguel Cabrera, who is a certain Hall of Famer and who brought them a lot of great years, but who is, you know, um, you can argue that he's the worst contract in baseball currently, uh, given the sheer amount of money that they owe to a guy who is, I mean, maybe not even like it's unclear what Miguel Cabrera is, but he certainly isn't a $200 million player. Um, and they have so little in terms of a farm system around him. And even their young players who have reached the big leagues, like Michael Fulmer have shown, like I nobody knows what Michael Fulmer is. Like he spent most of last year injured. So I, I mean, I think the Royals and the Tigers are two of the worst teams in all of the AL. So I don't, I don't see a path for them to be super relevant over the next couple of years. Um, I think between the Twins and the White Sox, I think the White Sox have a far higher upside. Um, I think they're much more likely to run off, you know, for some of these guys that we talked about earlier to click and for the White Sox to be like, okay, now there's really something here and we can be a division power for the next three, four or five years. I see that how that could happen. I also think there's a risk that the White Sox situation never fully materializes and they kind of have to restart the rebuild a little bit. Uh, the twins to me are very interesting. Like I think they're to me, they scream like 76 to 82 wins. Um, you know, the guys who were supposed to be the cornerstones for them have for way different reasons, but Sano and Buxton have not been those guys. Um, you know, I think they're probably going to be very competent and on the edge of the, uh, wild card race, but I still think there's, you know, a 10 or 12 game gap between whoever finishes second. And if I had the pick, I would probably say the twins are a better bet right now. Uh, even if I wouldn't necessarily take their, their view over the next three to five years over the white Sox, but the Indians are still the class of the division. Uh, it's frustrating that they've kind of sat on their hands all off season and not, like I, I understand intellectually when your percentage of or your chances of making the postseason are as high as the Indians are to start the year, you don't necessarily need to like push more chips into the middle just to make the postseason because it's such a crapshoot. But it would be nice if a team that has not won since 1948 would show just a little bit more urgency. I mean, that outfield stinks, um, but 
their great players are so great that it carries the day for them. Like Lindor and Ramirez are two of the five or six or seven most valuable position players in the AL. Um, You know, their rotation is still absolutely nutty. Like Kluber and Bauer and Carrasco and Bieber is outstanding. Like Danny Salazar just fell off the face of the earth and it hasn't really made a difference whatsoever. Um, you know, and the next and, Andrew Miller. Yeah, right. And, and Andrew Miller, that's a big loss, but like it's a big loss in terms of what he's brought to the team over the previous like two seasons. It's not really that big of a loss in terms of what he brought to the team last year. Last year. Like, yeah. He, he didn't really do too much. Yeah. Like him and Cody Allen were like very valuable to them over the long, over the, you know, this great run that they've had, but they're not missing much from last year's teams in terms of their contributions. But like, to me, the Indians are still the team with the window in the AL central. Like none of those other teams have stepped up to the plate and shown like, Hey, we are the be- We're the better looking team over the next three or four years. Like to me, that's still the Indians because they still have Francisco Lindor locked up for under team control for like three more years. They have Jose Ramirez on what I would argue is the single best contract in baseball. Um, they have, I mean, he's never, never going to earn what he's worth in his deal. Uh, Corey Kluber is also signed to what might be expensive for the Indians, but is ultimately a team friendly deal for that caliber of pitcher. Um, you know, the really important guys on his team are under team control for the next two, three, four years. So I think they're still the team to beat. I think they have uh, a huge margin for error this season. Um, you know, you saw them last year where they basically kind of floated through 60 or 70 or 75% of the regular season. It's still won very, very easily. So um, I'm both optimistic and frustrated with the Indians, but I still think that they're by far the best team in the AL central. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. That was a very thorough rundown of the AL central. Um in terms of predictions, uh, Tony, Johnny, and myself are hopefully going to be giving ours in the coming weeks here. But for us to just ask you that on the spot and for you to list off sure. like notables from each team, that was awesome. We appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, no problem. So um, a segment that we are pretty fond of on Shy Sox Weekly here is called Quick Hits, which was a segment that we started um, – Probably in the I would say in the earlier on episodes of Shy Sox Weekly. Um, basically, what it is, is is it's exactly what it sounds like. Um, I'm just gonna ask you a couple quick questions, and you just gotta give me like the first answer that pops in your head, and we'll roll through right. them as quick as we can. Through. Sure. Let's start it off here. Uh, quick hits with Justin Havens. Next off season, where is Chris Sale going to sign? Oh, I think he resigns with the Boston Red Sox that'll be an extension this year or do you think that's going to be he's going to test the market and then go back to Boston I think he's going to test the market I think there's going to be like a little bit of feeling out his health situation his durability stuff um, but I do think ultimately I, I think the Red Sox not spending on Craig Kimbrell this offseason was ultimately about investing in sale and Mookie Betts and possibly Xander Bogart so um, I think he goes back to the Red Sox um, but we have to wait until the end of this season to get there all right, 2020 MLB draft. Who's going to pick first? Ooh, great question. Um, I'm still going to go with the Orioles. Um, I okay. think they'll be better than they were last year, and they won't finish 61 games out or whatever it was. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, but I think I think they are still probably the worst team, although the Marlins and the Royals will give them a run for their money. 
All right, head-to-head speed pitch. White Sox, Dave, or Jerry Carabas? Oh, I'm sticking with Carabas for sure. Oh, you, give me, give me the Saugus. Yeah, give me the Saugus rocket. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Redline Radio and White Sox Dave are a little fish nipping at the heels uh, of the big dogs. Okay. Oh and, shit. <laughs> yeah. So feel free to kind of, you know, you want a little bit of that starting nine runoff. That's fine by us. But just know, <laughs> just know who the top dogs are. We had Dave on twice. Twice, yeah, two twice, weeks ago. Twice Dave's one of our guys. Well, yeah. yeah we'll no, I'm. I'm, I'm just messing around. No, I, you're I, good. When I did Dallas, all... yeah. When I did Dallas's radio show, White Sox Dave came on. It's all good, but uh, I'm taking Jared in that rivalry. Okay. Between the three of you, who's gonna win? Between in in a fast pitch and yeah. a speed pitch, yeah. Dallas. Oh, it would it would go Dallas, Jared, me. No question. I mean, I've tried to do that like relatively recently and like my number is absolutely pathetic although oh, give us a little taste good enough what's that give us a little taste what was it oh it was like low 60s yeah i mean i although i've never advertised myself to be able to do that very well yeah. i'm not ashamed of it it's just it is what it is i'm not a very strong dude dh and the nl yes or no personal yes opinion. Yes, yes for sure um i don't Carson... think the whole strategy thing is overplayed carson fulmer trust or a bust a uh, bust. Uh, who's your favorite player of all time? Kenny Lofton. Uh, who's going to be a good breakout player for the 2019 White Sox? Ooh. Um, I'm going to go with Mankata because I don't. I have more faith in his overall skill set than I do. Uh, kind of. Uh, if we're not including Eloy, because that's not really a breakout. I think. I think it's Mankata. I think we see something this year. Have you ever seen Fever Pitch? Have I ever seen Fever Pitch? I don't think so. Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> Fallon? Jimmy yes. Fallon. Yeah, Drew Barrymore. Okay, so you sound familiar. Yeah, so I think I've seen it, but like it's worth probably talking 15 years ago. What is your favorite baseball movie of all time? Oh, Major League. No Major question. League? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's the Indians, it's the dialogue, like it's, that movie's got it all. It hasn't aged particularly well in some scenes, but it's still great. Angel Hernandez or Joe West? Uh... I I'm gonna go with Joe West because at least uh, his brand of in, uh, at least his brand of incompetence. Like, all right, is, everybody, that was Justin Haven. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I like you're only giving me two choices, but that's true. Uh, yeah. Joe West is at least fully owning what he's doing, um, whereas I feel like the Angel Hernandez's uh, incompetence is sort of like he doesn't get it yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you. Okay. You get three words. Describe John Heyman. Has no friends. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> over under seventy wins for the two thousand nineteen White Sox. Uh, over. Over. Okay. I think they. Yeah, I think they're in the. Uh, I think they're in the mid mid seventies. Seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, something like so that. Plus, that's what we're. That's bold. <laughs> yeah, that, that was. Bold. All right. So Jim Tomey or Frank Thomas. I mean, the rapid-fire answer for this segment is Jim Tomey because he, if, if Kenny Lofton isn't my pick, then Jim Tomey is my answer for my favorite player. Uh, if you're asking me, like, I mean, I think Frank Thomas at his peak was a better baseball player, but Jim Tomey all day, especially because he's apparently a super nice dude. Will anyone ever be able to beat the 2005 White Sox playoff run? Um, I'll say yes. I think it does happen. Uh, although that playoff run is vividly etched in my brain because I went to school at the University of Illinois down in Champaign-Urbana, and uh, the year they won was my sophomore year, and I was a White Sox fan. 
Are you give him the him? next question? The, the next question is if, if you had to pick between the two, would it be Northwestern or Illinois? Oh, Illinois for sure. I mean, I, I, I L L Justin. I went to U of I too. Yeah, fuck yeah. I'm not sure Northwestern would have had me. I didn't apply there, so I don't know. But um, I loved my four years at Illinois. Um, I haven't really been back because it makes me feel weird to go back there at this point. But like the, it's just it's a place in time, and those four years were awesome. And I wouldn't trade them. I wouldn't go anywhere else, and I wouldn't trade them for anything. I got to interject in uh, here just since we're on this topic. I didn't know that he went to Illinois. I think this is a pretty clear cut answer for any Illini, but Cam's or Joe's. Oh, well, see, I'm going to throw you off here because I'm going to tell you the answer is C.O. Daniels. Ooh, yes. Um, yeah, that's true. You were still there. While which, I, was, I don't know when you graduated, so it, it, it may have already been closed down by the time you were there. But uh, yeah. when I was there, uh, C.O. Daniels was, was my place. If you were a player in the MLB and you had to pick an agent to represent you, would it be Boris or Lozano? Um, I don't know enough about Dan Lozano other than he seems to be just like a, a knockoff Boris. So I'm going to go Boris. What's your favorite beer if you had to pick? Um, I, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I don't uh, drink beer anymore. Uh, I drink like basically exclusively liquor, but I was always a uh, IPA fan. So I would choose some sort of IPA. All right. Let's bounce that back to favorite liquor. Oh, I, I mean, tequila. And margaritas. Uh, for me, a margarita is a year-round, 12-month drink. There we go. <laughs> 365. All right. Um, this is going to be the last one. So uh, 2019 World Series champion. Let's hear it. Oh, I love it. Uh, I'm going to go with the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, it's it's the least creative pick because I usually pick them every year. Um, but I do think it's a legitimate one. I think they have a chance. Um, and... This is the year it all comes together. Okay, let's see it. I've got one awesome. last. I've got one last one for you, Justin. Sure. Do I top my win total in fantasy baseball next year? Oh I God, think I had like three up. last year. Can I beat that Jesus. this year? I sure. I sure fucking hope so, man. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm ready for another year of the Humbas at the bottom of the standings. I think we. I think we need a good. A good Marquesi season. There we the go. Crazy, the crazy Marchese's. We're looking for a bounce back season from them. <laughs> hey, I won. I won in my first year in the league. It was. Uh, it was a pretty impressive yeah, showing. No, no, no. It's been. It's been bad ever since. But uh, yeah, there's no. There's no. Uh, there's no dumping on his team. It's a champion, and flags fly forever. But you know, I think. I think we're looking for a little bit of a bounce back after the last two years. I'm hoping to put that on Justin. Um, anything else that you want to touch on before you uh, take off for the night? It's been a pleasure having you on here. Yeah, no, man. I think uh, I think I've probably talked too much as it is, so I will shut it down. But it's been a lot of fun. Nah, man, you don't get to talk enough. They need to give you a microphone on starting nine. This has been more than a pleasure for us. Oh You've yeah, man. Been awesome. Anytime. Yeah, no, you have a great you have great opinions and you're a great baseball mind. So we love getting guys like you on our show. I think we'll have to get Thanks. you back well, on in the summer, and we can do a uh, midseason checkup on like you. All like around the All Star yeah, break or sure. something. Yeah, we definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, with flattery like that, I'll come on anytime. Awesome. Absolutely, Justin. Thanks for coming on. Guys, that was Justin Haven. You can follow him on Twitter, at Kid. I'm pretty sure I got that one right. Um, yep. Great baseball takes. Again, he is the producer of Starting Nine, Barstool Sports. 
Uh, Justin, thank you very much. Like I said, uh, look forward to having you on again. For sure. Good luck on the south side this year. Yeah, we need it. Thank you, Justin. That was Justin Havens, Barstool Sports. Uh, Awesome having Justin on, like we said earlier. Um, And hope to have him back on again soon. With that said, we're going to go take a quick break, get a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back for the second half of Shy Sox Weekly. I love Tabasco sauce, and we'll be back. And we're back. Episode 31. We had Justin Havens on just before the break. Uh, great information from Justin in that interview. Uh, with that said, let's roll on into some of the news. We kind of touched on it a little bit before. Uh, Bryce Harper today signed with the Phillies. 13 years, 30, $330 million with no opt-outs. He got a little bit less AAV than Machado. Guys, let's uh, let's go round table real quick and talk about uh, our thoughts on Bryce Harper and the Phillies. Expected for me. I predicted back in December. It might have just been in my own head. Um, but I was kind of set on that Machado was going to the Yankees. Harper was going to the Phillies. Machado for the preferred destination. Uh, Harper for the money. So I'm not, not shocked at all. Um, I knew they had the most to spend. I knew they were willing to make a splash. And their front office actually cares, unlike ours. So there we go. All I know is that for both of the signings of one Machado and two Harper, I was at work and have specifically had tweet notifications and like Bleacher Report, ESPN, all these notifications turned on my phone for these specific reasons of knowing when Manny Machado or Bryce Harper sign. Obviously, as of late, we've talked about it on the show, guys, but Manny Machado was the one that was more so linked to the Sox. So when that ship sailed, I mean, all of us kind of gave up hope. I still had that, like, crinkled little bit of hope in the back of my mind that Bryce Harper would get some deal from the White Sox that he would like and eventually end up signing with us. But unfortunately, I had to pull open up my phone two different times at work over the last 10 days to a fucking endless scroll of notifications of just Bryce Harper signed so-and-so or Manny Machado signed so-and-so. So, I mean, I didn't. no one really ever asked me who I predicted these guys to go to, but if I were to have to guess, Phillies and Bryce Harper did seem like a marriage that made sense, but I always thought Machado to the Yankees was what made the most sense to me. And then once they went out and they acquired a different shortstop, I thought that, you know, there's no room for Machado, so there's really no point in that. So, I don't know. The whole fucking situation has dragged into February for the second year in a row, which seems to become the norm like we kind of just talked about with Justin. So, other than that, I'm not really happy, obviously. It would have been nice to see Bryce Harper in a White Sox uniform, but like I said, it's not the end of the world. His contract runs until he's 39, and we're seeing like a Miguel Cabrera with the Tigers right now how that's working. We don't want the Sox to be in that position in 13 years with all that money tied up. So it's a win-loss situation, but at the end of the day, we're still obviously sad and drinking about it. Realistic um, thoughts there from you, John. Um, If I have to talk about the Bryce Harper signing, um, I kind of echo the fact that I, I was prepared for this. I didn't really expect them to go after Harper, especially after the Machado signing. I think Machado was their guy that they were they were after all year. I said it all last week on, on the podcast that Johnny and I did that uh, 
you can't go in and lowball people. Um, I don't think that they wanted to be embarrassed by what they had to offer for Bryce Harper. Um, you knew it was not going to be what it took. I don't think that they were out on Bryce Harper the way that the, the media reported. But at the same point in time, um, they just knew that they weren't going to bring the offer that they needed to in order to secure his services. Um, 13 years is a long deal. Bryce Harper is going to be nearing age 40 by the end of it. Um, we can debate all day whether or not that deal's worth it. Like uh, Jonda, you said uh, they'll end up hating him by the end of that. Um, I don't doubt that. But uh, as our as our guest said over and over today, uh, flags do fly forever. Uh, we'll see if Bryce Harper can bring a World Series title to Philadelphia. I don't think that if he does, um, they will regret that deal one bit. The future is not yet determined, so we'll see what happens there. I can get mad about this and you know kick and scream till I'm blue in the face, but uh, it's not going to bring either of the free agent uh, targets that uh, I think a lot of White Sox fans wanted to the south side. So, you know, at this point, I just kind of feel defeated and I just want to get to baseball season and, you know, just enjoy going to the ballpark and uh, smelling the grilled onions and enjoying a few beers and uh, hanging out with uh, you guys in the parking lot and and tailgating. So um, with that said, let's move into some other uh, stuff that's going on with uh, with Mr. Kenny Williams, Johnny. I think uh, I think you've got enough to say about this, so I'm going to let you run with it. Yeah, it was an article that was posted not too long before we started recording tonight. Uh, Daryl Van Show or Van Schoen of the Chicago Sun Times. Uh, the article was titled "VP Ken Williams." It's a shame if the White Sox are portrayed as cheap. Um, some of the highlights from that. Uh, obviously, that was the main quote. The title of that article that was the main quote from Kenny Williams, and then it kind of builds off of it from there. Um, you know, he said, it's really interesting. We're being portrayed as cheap because holy shit, that's a quarter of a billion dollars. We offered him with a chance to be higher than what he's getting. Uh, yeah, that's with the chance, Kenny on white Sox Twitter outrage. He says, uh, whoever you're speaking of, um, there's nothing I can say to make him feel better. Unfriggin' believable. You're damn right on that. Uh, rest assured. No one is feeling what Rick and I are feeling every single day. Uh, because every single day since last June, uh, this is what we had planned for. Um, obviously not well enough. And then with Machado, we extended ourselves as far as we could without jeopardizing what we're trying to do in the future. Um, what happened to the the money will be spent comments? Um, let's see. Uh, people are lost on the fact that on a yearly basis, our offer was more than the Padres. Um, annual uh Average value was $31 million change, so it was about years guaranteed. There's an argument to be made that our offer was the better of the two. Certainly had more upside for him. All he had to do was basically stay healthy. Not necessarily true. Team couldn't manipulate at-bats since it was contingent on him getting 500 in those uh, years 6 and 7. Um, anyone in a physically intensive profession would probably take the guaranteed money, Ken. Um, that's uh, That doesn't really take... Uh, you know, too much digging to kind of figure that out. And then our fans would be much more disappointed in our inability to keep this next core together. We would have overextended ourselves had we gone to an uncomfortable lever level. Um, what happened to the money will be spent? Um, I don't know. You don't want to be portrayed as cheap. What we've got here is failure to communicate. 
go and change that then. You know, your unwillingness, the, the biggest contract we had said was Jose Breu, and what was that, $68 million? Go, go go and change it then. If you, if you don't want to be perceived as cheap, don't be cheap. That's all I got on it. Um, oh, and then uh, one one last thing. Uh, still a quote from Kenny Williams here. If, uh, I believe we got in the room with Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, and if we were able to afford, they absolutely wanted to come here. That was expressed to us. That's all I can go by. What in the hell are you doing? Um, they wanted where they were going to get paid and what they thought they were worth. Um, they both got what they thought they were worth, what everyone thought it would be at the beginning of the offseason. So don't sit there and tell us that, um, you know, you felt your offer was the best. So that that is all I got. I, we did plenty of ranting last week, Tony. But that article just, you know, strikes a nerve right right when the everything's kind of dying down. It's just throwing gasoline back on the fire. So uh, he just keeps opening his mouth. I mean, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you guys, you guys were able to kind of rant about it for, for quite some time and I never really got to, and I don't really even want to delve into it like that, but just, it's just, it's fucking simple math. Like even guys like us, three simple guys like us can sit here and understand the fucking common knowledge of, the guys are there right now. If you want to sit there and you want to go out and say you're, you have the money and you're going to spend it when it needs to be spent, it needed to be fucking spent right now. Nolan Arenado, in the midst of Manny Machado getting time, we haven't even really talked about this, went and signed a contract extension with Colorado Rockies, so he's off the table next summer. You know, like we just asked Justin Havens, our guest, where he thinks Chris Sale, the probably top premier free agent at this point of next season, is going to sign. He said he's going to re-sign with the Red Sox. Obviously, it's not set in stone, but, like, Paul Goldschmidt, probably going to sign an extension with the fucking Cardinals. Honestly, I don't even really want Paul Goldschmidt because we don't even have a spot for him with Alonzo and a Brad. I mean, obviously, he's better than both of them, but you're getting into guys that are in their early 30s. You're getting into guys that aren't the caliber of a Machado or a Harper. So yes, I know you guys vented about this, and I never really got the chance to. But hey, I'm take the fucking, floor, man. I'm fucking mad, dude. I'm really fucking mad because we have broken promises stretching back to 2016. You know, we have that from this is going all the way back to I don't even know. You guys can go and find the date yourself. But I'm stating this back to when I very first heard Rick Hahn going on air. You know, going on 670 to score going on Redline Radio, stating, you know, when we're ready to spend the money, we're going to spend the money. When the players are there and they're worth our money, we're going to spend our money on them. And then getting outbid by the Padres and the fucking Phillies, get the fuck out of here with that shit, dude. I'm over it. Until they actually do something that makes me not over it, I'm not. I'm still pissed at the front office of the White Sox. Totally over it at this point. Um, Maybe time to break news that we're doing our tailgate opening day but i'm probably going to that and maybe not another game for the whole summer because the white Sox don't deserve my hard-earned money i don't know i'm sorry that's as simple as that i know you guys bought your plans you have your season plan john i i appreciate the fire that you you're welcome that, that might because... be the fucking six beers that i've had but no i mean it's warranted i i think i went on a similar rant the day that the blackhawks uh can coach q um Johnny can you attest did. to that. Um, it, it was it was probably even more uh, more curses were said during that rant. But yeah, I tried um, to keep it clean. My mom's in the other room, so yeah, it, it, <laughs> you can try as hard as you want. I mean, the, the the fact of the matter is is that you're right. I mean, there was there was lies out of the mouths of members guys of our front office. Yeah, and, and trust. And it, yeah, it, it comes back to trust. And that's one of the things that we need to to hone in on a little bit is 
how much do you trust this organization to actually deliver on the promises? It was it was enough for them to ask for the Sox fans' trust in rebuilding this team when they traded away the likes of Chris Sale, Jose Quintana, Adam Eaton, and you know everybody else on that team. Um, you know, you even go in and include like Avisel Garcia. They let that guy walk. Um, and we'll not. We'll, I mean, we can go into how they could have how they could have traded him at the right time. But, True that. No, you're right. And same with Abreu. But I don't know. Yeah, they could. They probably could have gotten a great return for Jose Abreu at some point in time. But the 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 point that I want to get to here is that it it was enough for them to ask for our trust. And I think at this point, up until this off season, White Sox fans have been fairly positive towards the rebuild. Supportive. Supportive. That's a good word for it. Do you guys disagree? We've been very supportive for what they've done. No, you're right. It's almost like a cult following at this point. Like we were bred this message into our brains from day one. We were fed that, you know, like we're going to go trade all our worthy people for these young guys. We're going to bring them up through our system. You know, God forbid injuries happen. And when we're ready to add to the major league level, which I mean, it's arguable that they're still a year away, but so Justin did bring look, up a good point on this though, is that we don't know what we have right now, and I think we all agreed with it that we, we really don't. Do, we don't know what we have. But and Tony, the, I've, and I've I don't want to cut you off, but I have to. I, I've brought this up before. If you put guys that are worthy that are that are that produce on a consistent basis around these guys that are fringe guys like these we guys can compete. that we can compete they can compete not even that but these guys can turn a corner and they can start getting hot off of i mean when i played baseball i mean it, obviously it changes but when i played baseball if i was slumping and my team started getting hot you want to fucking produce too you yeah, step no, in the I batter's agree. box your team just produced a fucking like three run inning and everybody's getting a hit you want to get a fucking hit too so you get a fucking hit that's how baseball works dude it's a fucking rhythm sport and guys get into a rhythm you know every like they fucking switched our lineup around all the time last year you know you saw Mankata at 1 you saw Mankata at 2 6 7 everywhere Find a fucking lineup that sticks. If it doesn't work at first, figure out a way to make it work and stick with it. Because right now the Sox are just literally like, and I've even seen it in spring training. And obviously it's spring training, so it's different. I'm not going to take it from a grain of salt. But like I've seen a million different combinations of just guys in different spots. Nowhere where anybody can get comfortable, where anybody can find a rhythm. It's not going to happen on a team where someone's batting second and playing second base one day and batting seventh and playing third base the next it's not going to happen no i i actually i actually agree with that uh jonda um i think a rhythm is something that that they need um and moving Moncada from second over to third i think just complicates a little bit i think that third base is probably the best spot for him honestly at this point in time, yeah, that's where for the long term, that's where but, the Red Sox tried to bring him up too. But they shouldn't have moved him over to second in the first place to then just move him over to third. And we'll get into that a little bit next week. I think that that that's a good topic that we can talk about and dissect more. Yeah. But yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. It, it, baseball is a contagious thing, and if everybody else is producing, you do want to produce more. And having more talented people on your roster only drives guys like Moncada, Tim Anderson, and, and the likes of them, the, some of these younger guys, to 
to perform better? And I think you tried to get into that with Justin a little bit. I really liked that question that you had. Was uh, I know, did? You... I wasn't trying to piss him off. I felt like he like I like a, a, not even angry, but I felt like it kind of irked him a little bit. No, I don't. I don't think it did. But I really liked that question that you asked him because. Um, I think that's something that, to be said. These guys have a lot of pressure on them. They have they a lot of pressure. I, I know Johnny hasn't spoken in a while. I think he wants to get in here. I just have one one thing that kind of wraps up. You weren't on last week, John, so you didn't hear this, but I said it to Tony, and you'll remember it as soon as I bring up the word. Manny Machado signing with the White Sox would have been an accelerator or an X factor for this team. Yep. An accelerator in helping those guys reach that confidence level that, like you had said, the momentum, whatever you want to call it, bring all that, and then he's also st- he's stable. He's a stable power bat in the middle of your lineup, plays a very important position, assuming he'd play third base for us, and it stabilizes things. Then other guys, if they're going to struggle, they can because they have some protection around him. It would be an accelerator for the rebuild. We'd be in a much better spot. You'll get the uh, Padres zips projections with Machado. They're so much better than the White Sox, so much. It's um, disgusting. It, it is. It's disgusting. It's, and that, it's, that's my only thought. I just wanted to, you know, yeah. John, you didn't get to hear that last week. He's an no, X factor. No, I, d- I did listen. I listened for the, I mean, for the most part, I got about an hour and a half into the episode that you guys posted. But like, the thing is, is it's just, it's, it's like I said, it's an infectious thing. And like you said, the zips projection or the zips projection for the Padres improved once they signed Machado. Obviously that would have helped the White Sox as well. You know, you see these guys where, like, it's like, I don't even know. I, I briefly looked at it. I couldn't give you any accurate estimates on what their actual projections were. I know it was, like, McCann and Castillo combined for, like, a .9 war. That's yeah, not that good. just terrible. Yeah, that's not good. You don't want to see that for combinations of positions of players across the board. And then you go and look at the Padres, and you see guys that – probably wouldn't even be producing, you know, with positive wars because of a guy like Manny Machado and because you're getting other guys that you're building a team around. The Sox basically just went out and did what they did last offseason, and they filled the fucking gaps. That's exactly what they did. Not even, John. John, I don't even think they filled the gaps here. They literally went out they and grabbed. They, didn't even need. Yeah, I mean, they went out and yeah. grabbed two guys, two guys, Yonder Alonso and John Jay. Well, no, I honestly, no, 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 no. I'm not even getting into the bullpen yet. I'm not getting into the bullpen yet. Um, John Jay, Yonder Alonso, guys they've grabbed. Colome is probably the best that oh. or acquisition that we've made. All that was off a trade. Season. Oh, that yeah. wasn't even a free agent. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Acquisition, like it just just a gain to our ball club. Alex Colome is probably like so. Like I mean, we've we've done something, and like and even when they did that. I mean, I'm sorry to cut you off, Tom. They that like look at Colomay's contract. What are they gonna do with that? You just wasted a year on it. You what are you gonna get? One year of them? Like Well, and I blogged this earlier in the year too, John, was the fact that it's time to stop trading these guys. It's time to stop flipping pieces. And no, Justin right. Justin and brought piece, it up too. He's like, You guys might be able to get something for a Yonder Alonzo or some of these guys. I bet that fucking irked you, dude. It irked, I bet it did. It, it irked me a lot because no, you, you know what irks me is all my Cub fan buddies texting me the last couple of days, basically after I've been talking big game over the last year, calling me stupid. And what do I have to say back to him? I have nothing. Nothing. I have nothing, nothing dude. There's nothing. I'm defenseless. And and let's let's dive right into this because I think that's a good good transition point. Is Matt Lyle, the new White Sox, I don't even know what title he has. Um, hitting analytics instructor. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a great, great title. Um, it sounds very, 
um, new age, I think we can agree on, new age baseball. Um, something that the White Sox have been terrible at is getting into the new age. Uh, I'm surprised they even gave this guy a contract at this point in time because um, you wonder if they're even on this type of analytical uh, era that the that, that baseball's seen. But uh, Matt Lyle has a has a pretty good pedigree um, from what he's done with his work um, with with hitters. Um, I know he's he's got a big YouTube following. He uh, he tweeted something the other day that 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 kind of got under my skin. I think it went under the radar in White Sox Twitter. Uh, the tweet said, um, "One of the battles of leadership is confronting people who are happy and comfortable with mediocrity. Average is easy. Greatness is not." What do you guys think he meant by this? Because you don't just go and tweet something like that. I mean, he he's at spring training right now. He's with the players. This message isn't just something that you go and tweet. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm if I'm on twitter.com and I want to tweet something, I'm not going to go and tweet something that that kind of has a sword like this unless it it needs to be directed at something. And especially with Rick Hahn's comments about, you know, we don't want to be uh, mired in mediocrity. Um, this one kind of stuck with me a little bit because I'm not sure where it was directed. Was it directed at some of the players that he's been encountering over the, the course of his few days with uh, the White Sox organization? Or is this directed more towards the front office? Um, I'm not quite sure. I, I'm curious what you guys think about this. Yeah, so I know we're kind of exploring a route that, it's, um, you know, all kind of speculation. I will preface it by saying that his Twitter account is full of inspirational quotes pretty much daily. So I will give him that. But uh, that's a good question, Tony. Where is it directed? Um, I, if you're asking me personally, I hope it's directed at the front office. I hope he sees something like that and, um, you know, an opportunity to make the team much better, work with a absolutely great hitter um they let slip by the wayside um probably one of their best chances to do it but i doubt i kind of doubt that i mean those are the guys that are giving you a job so maybe it is the players and then that's even more of a um, concern i think because then you've got guys that are supposed to be the major core pieces of this next good team whenever that may be and if they're not really putting in the work now then that's really concerning john you got any uh take on that no, honestly, you guys got it mostly covered. We had kind of been talking about it a little bit off air, but I mean, you guys are right. Basically, if you're not putting in the work or the effort that needs to be put in to take the steps forward or to change your past production, then you're not meant to be a professional athlete. And I honestly, I hope that he's talking about higher ups. I hope that he's talking about front office people, because if he's talking about the players, I'm sincerely worried about that post. I am. So, I mean, I guess we'll see as the course of the season plays out. Honestly, you guys were the ones that told me about this. I didn't even know about it. So that's why my opinion's kind of all over the place on it. When you said it, I was like, holy shit, is Todd Stevenson still with the Sox? Like that's how off base I was on that. So I don't want to just go and rant on about it for minutes on end, but I really, really hope that that statement was about the front office and not the players and within the organization of the White Sox. 
yeah, so my take is probably the fact that it's directed at the front office, not bringing in the free agents that they wanted to. I'm sure when when Matt Lyle sat down with the White Sox front office to accept this job, they talked to him about what their plan was. And the same stuff that we were fed as fans are probably spewed out to you know potential employees of the organization. Most of life is sales, and when you want to get somebody who's top talent, um, like like a Matt Lyle, uh, to join your organization, you want to sell them on something. And I feel like Matt Lyle was sold on the chance to work with a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado, and he comes into spring training without anything else. And, and he gets Yomer Sanchez and Nicky Delmonico. Exactly. Um, so this is my my very cynical take on all this is that, you know, this this guy takes a chance on an organization that is selling a goal and selling this rebuild, and he shows up and what does he have in front of him? He's got Todd Steverson and a bunch of players who are question marks now can he turn some of these guys around maybe but if you're matt lyle why do you take a job with the chicago white Sox versus any of the other suitors you have i mean if you guys are looking for employment what are you looking for i the mean honestly to Tone, if you cool. want me to be realistically or hey, realistically that's how you know i'm drunk if you want me to be realistic with you how many job offers did this matt lyle dude have across major league baseball probably just the white Sox. i mean maybe a couple others but i doubt that he was getting offered a job by like top tier organizations like we talked about earlier like the dodgers the yankees are probably not even they probably don't even know who this fucking dude is uh, Johnny, I'm curious what your your thoughts are on this too. Yeah, so that's kind of a mystery. He kind of uh, came out of nowhere, at least from my radar. Um, hadn't really heard too much about him until White Sox had hired him, so I really don't know his background there. So I, it, if we're going back to the quote, I, I would hope it's directed at the front office. I, uh, I, you know, if it's about the players, then that is rough. Um, we're in it. We're in for a real rough uh, stretch of not not just this season um the next couple that those are signs of cancer within the organization if that's what it is um but as for him himself i'm sure you know what it, like you had said a lot of you know most of life is sales they were probably selling them similar things i'm sure there's a little more detailed a little more how they want to approach things um obviously if he's working with the players themselves one-on-one he's going to get more inside knowledge but i would guess that those this you know the same uh, sort of spiel that uh they've given in a watered down version to the fans he probably got the he probably got the full uh you know full-blown one and i'm sure those plans included uh, acquiring top talent until they realized that it was going to be 300 million and okay we'll just fold on it well honestly if you got to ask me if I were in that position and that were like my profession, I wouldn't want to work with proven talent. I would want, I would prefer to work with like younger unproven talent. That way I could like make a name for myself. Like you see all these like guys 
that use dribble coaches in basketball and these guys that use like footwork coaches in football and all these guys that use like private, like Jose Abreu brought in his private hitting coach this spring. So you see all these guys that use like outside like YouTube gurus and all these guys like that. So what I would have sold them on is, hey, you can you can form Luis Robert swing or you can form like a break, Blake, Ru- break, Blake Rutherford or uh, Mike Rodolfo, or any of these guys. Like, you can work with all these dudes, and you can individually work with theirs. That's what would have sold me, was the farm system. And I, I understand, like, being able to work with a guy like Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. You go and you start tweaking a dude's swing like that, then you're going to start fucking with his stats. You're going to start fucking with his numbers, and then you're going to start fucking with his worth. So, I don't know. That's where I'm at on that. I don't really think that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado had much to do with the Sox hiring this guy. I think he's more so just trying to correct things that Steverson can't see for himself, if that makes sense. I like that take, John. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up real quickly as we close this this little segment off is that regardless of who he's directing that message towards, I like the message. Because it it shows me that there's somebody in the White Sox organization, in the coaching staff, who gives a shit, who cares, who wants things to be better. And I think it's a little bit of a breath of fresh air that there's somebody out there who's not going to stand for this. Regardless if it's directed at the players, regardless if it's directed at the front office, um, this is a new guy on the scene. Um, we don't know what his impact is going to be. Um, it's it's probably limited at that. We know, you know, he's not on the field making the plays. He's not stepping up to the plate and taking at bats. But um, he's a voice nonetheless, and um, it's just good to see that there's somebody out there who's willing to go throw out on social media that he's not okay with this. And I think that that's something that we need to. Uh, kind of applaud as it's just something we need as white yeah, Sox fans exactly. in general right now we have nothing to hold on to exactly so if there's something to hold on to it's the fact that there's somebody who's being paid by the organization who is not going to stand for bullshit who's not going to stand for let's just get this done this guy if you if you follow him on twitter if you follow what he's done his messages he's one of those like uber positive guys he's inspirational he's, yeah he's inspirational yeah, well, that, but he's a super fundamental guy too. yeah he's he's very fundamental um i think that that's what a lot of these young guys need and especially with some of the track record that the white Sox have had in developing hitters and, and developing just young talent in general um it, it's good to know that they've they've got this guy on on payroll right now so that's that's something that i think that uh um you know, seeing that tweet kind of—it it was kind of double-edged for me. At one, uh, on one side, I'm wondering who that's directed at. On the other side, I'm saying this is great. We've got somebody who's not afraid to call out. Uh, you know, people who are not trying, people who are not striving for the best that they can be, and I think that that's that—that's what we need. Um, guys, let's roll into a little bit of what's gone on in spring training. Let's run it down. And now, it's time for the Spring Training Rundown. Johnny, 
you've been putting out gifts. You've been watching every single spring training game. Um, just how the Sox have performed and what's going on in spring training so far. Yeah, so you know it's pretty funny that I'm all still mad and stuff, but then they get me. It's spring training, but I'll still tune in because it's White Sox baseball. But you know that's yeah. just how it rolls. Anyway, Sox opened spring training play on Saturday against the Dodgers, uh, Battle of Camelback Ranch. They fell seven to six in that game. Of note, there Carson Fulmer made his first spring appearance, uh, pitched one point one innings, uh, gave up two earned runs, one walk, uh, no strikeouts. Ryan Burr had a scoreless outing with two uh, strikeouts, and Jordan Stevens went uh, two innings with uh, two strikeouts and one earned run. So um, Carson Fulmer, you know, it's early, but that, that's probably the most uh, notable thing in that game because that's a huge question in the spring training. He's got to prove himself. There, there's no question about that. People say spring training stats don't matter at all. It will absolutely matter for Carson Fulmer yeah, here. Yeah, they do. Uh, that was a split squad day, though, so they uh, played at Oakland's facility, the other half of that split squad. Um, they lost that game 6-5, to five, notable in that one. Uh, Moncada got off to a hot start. Uh, he had two hits, um, scored a run, had an RBI in that one. And then our boy, the Sevies Vala train rolling through, he was 2-3 for three and scored two runs. So choo choo. to see Sevy. I don't think... I don't think I've seen him since then, though. So hopefully uh, while I'm out there this next week, uh, he gets some action behind the plate. It's only been McCann, Castillo, and uh, Collins over the past four games or so. Yeah, we Make need sure more you wear some Shy Sox Weekly apparel. If not the Subby Zavala shirt, at least a Shy Sox Weekly hard logo. And definitely get it signed by him if you can. I'll, uh, I'm definitely bringing the Subby Zavala train shirt. So, yeah, uh, definitely it'll, get it'll that be, signed by him. Even if I'm not wearing it, I'll, I'll you know wave it like a flag. So, um Okay, so then the next day was Sunday. Uh, Padres beat the White Sox 5-4. to four. Uh, Only notable in that one, Blake Rutherford had himself a nice day, went 3-4 for four with a double and an RBI. Um, on Monday, the White Sox tied the Giants 4-4. Um, Makata had another solid day there, went 2-3 for three with a triple, an RBI and a run scored. Luis Robert also had a triple in that game. He went 1-3. for three. That was a 2-RBI triple, so that was good to see. Uh, showed a little speed and didn't injure his thumb sliding into third base on that one. So that, <laughs> that's a positive. Take what we can uh, get. Yeah, take what we can get. Manny Benuelos, uh, pitching-wise in that game, uh, was probably the one that everyone was keyed in on the most since he is a prime candidate for that fifth starter spot. He pitched two innings, um, gave up one run on two hits, had four strikeouts, though. Um, so, you know, he'll get more starts throughout the spring training. I'm sure I'll, with the way that the rotation's working, I'm sure he'll either be up this weekend or early next week by the time I'm there. So that'll be interesting to see. On Tuesday, Sox beat the Royals, first win of spring training, 9-7. to seven. Um, Tim Anderson had a good game there. Uh, we've been a triples machine in spring training so far. He had a, uh, went two for three with a triple and two RBIs in that game. Um, Yonder Alonzo uh, hit a home run, went two for three, and also had a, a double with two RBIs. Carson Fulmer uh, was pitching again. Got roughed up a little bit through two innings. Um, had two earned runs, uh, three hits. Uh, struck out two, though. And then Nate Jones, you know, that's another question. Uh, he's kind of the veteran of this staff, you could say, now that James Shields is gone. Uh, he has been around with the White Sox for, I think, seven seasons now. Uh, he he got roughed up in his one inning, uh, two earned runs uh, and a walk in just that one inning, and he gave up a home run. He so, did not look good. Um, 
No, but like I said, they, these are all their first times out pretty much. Carson Fulmer is the only repeating pitcher that I think I've said there. So Wednesday, uh, the Reds beat the White Sox 11-4, to uh, notable in that game. Uh, Yonder Alonso hit another home run. Uh, John Jay hit a solo shot. Uh, Mancata went one for two with a walk. Uh, and then Castillo had himself a pretty nice day, two for three uh, with a double and an RBI. That was Reynaldo Lopez's start day. Um, he went two innings, gave up five hits, uh, two earned runs, and one strikeout. Uh, you know, it was for first start of spring, so um, he, he looked eh, just meh, I would say. But then again, these guys are just getting back into it. Um, Aaron Bummer, um, he looks like he's in midseason form. I, I hate to, you know, crap on someone like that, but he only pitched two-thirds of an inning, uh, two hits, four earned runs, three walks, so... You know, that's uh, the only two, the two outs that he got were strikeouts. So it's either it's hit or miss with him. Mostly miss. Juan Manaya, one of my least favorites, uh, one and two third innings pitch, uh, three hits, one earned run, one walk, uh, one strikeout. And again, first time out for him this year, too. So then today, Thursday, um, Mariners beat the White Sox. This was Lucas Giolito's um, uh, debut for starting in spring training. Um, so offensively for the Sox, so Tim Anderson had a nice home run to center field, kind of right center, but um, good to see power out of Timmy. He had a two for three day with two RBIs. Uh, Nicky Delmonico, two for three with a double and a run scored, uh, but he also committed an error in left field. So that was an ugly play. Uh, I gift it. It's up there. So, if you want to go and see that, it's on my Twitter account. Uh, Yulmer Sanchez went two for three as well. So th- that's all I got stat-wise, notables there. Um, I will be bringing a lot more content next week. I will be at White Sox games Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Um, so Kinsler and I, be on the lookout for all those updates from us. So I'm very excited to see your uh, your spring training updates, Johnny. Um one of the things that uh, I'm really excited for is, like you said earlier, um, can you get some FaceTime with uh, the train, Mr. Sebi Zavala? Um, great rundown there um, on the, the spring training stuff. I'm going to take the uh, the injury report right now. Um, it's been a little bit of uh, bad news for the White Sox as far as injuries have gone. Um the main one right now that I want to get into is Dane Dunning, um, diagnosed with forearm soreness. It looks like he is a potential Tommy John candidate. Oh. Uh, we've seen this before in the rebuild, um, specifically Michael Kopak, uh, Birdie, um, even uh, Adolfo has had some Tommy John. So it seems like the uh, the Tommy John bug is going around in the minor league clubhouse. Um, he's currently resting for seven days and he will follow up with Dr. James Andrews. He's down in Florida right now. Not a very good look for Dane Dunning, uh, especially this year after he missed most of last year. Uh, this was supposed to be a big development year for Dane Dunning. Uh, a lot of guys had him pegged for a potential three through five spot in the White Sox, uh, rotation, um, as soon as this year through, uh, maybe coming into 2020, um, not good. Uh, we're not happy about this, and we'll continue to follow that um, as the situation evolves. But uh, that was the news today that uh, Dane Dunning is down. Um, Palka, Daniel Palka, fan favorite from the 108, um, is dealing with some hamstring soreness. 
he says he's fine. He says he's coming back um, very soon. He's day-to-day. And then uh, Basabe, uh, the broken hammock bone that we talked about last week, surgery on Monday. Uh, that was February 25th. Uh, we're still expecting him to be out for a significant time. Um, looks like he will be a candidate for uh, extended spring training, probably, I would think, um, as recovery is probably at least six to eight weeks on that surgery. Um, no other real um, big injuries to report, unless I'm missing something here, Johnny, but uh, that seems like uh, a significant uh, dent into some of the guys that we could be excited about this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you were thinking about possibly uh, seeing, you know, Dunning as a potential late call up and even uh, Basabi. I know the outfield's kind of crowded right now, but, you know, you kind of weed out, say, uh, someone gets DFA'd within there or there's an extended injury. You know, Lori Garcia, my boy, is always good for about three injuries a year. So could have been a spot for Basabi possibly as a September call up. Um, so that's disappointing there. You know, that kind of, I kind of get the vibe with Basabi that this is something sure it occurred in spring training fairly early kind of get the vibe that's like a Luis Robert situation last year though you know it kind of really sets him back and if it lingers at all um that could really uh put development back a full year for a potential you know real quality uh center fielder which we've been you know uh longing for for a while in the White Sox organization um and then I just had a comment on Dunning um I'd I hate to be a pessimist and just assume the worst, but it, it really, like you had mentioned that it was Tommy John. Of course I said that in the group chat, just kind of being, you know, down about the way things have gone our way um, over the past couple of weeks here. But I watched that, that minor league game last year when he was taken out, it was on like a one, two count and he tried to mask it, but he looked like he was in a lot of pain. Um, it didn't look good, and he was having a great year for Birmingham before that. So it was really discouraging. Uh, I know they said, you know, after that, I like right after that happened, I thought, oh, boy, here we go. Because it looked like, I know it. they say it's forearm, but it looked like he was, you know, kind of rubbing his elbow and like all that when he was coming out. So um, just not a good visual for Dane Dunning, and you know, I just hate to hear that it flared up again. But I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, they decided they weren't going to treat it. Rest was the uh, remedy, and, you know, it makes you think if it was that serious then and they were just kind of brushing it off, hoping it would get better, wouldn't they have been better off just diagnosing it then? Yeah, and, they should you know, have. Getting, getting it out of the way. Like They should have just done this six months ago. At this point, in I mean, time. I'm, I'm not the doctor. I'm not. I'm not in yeah, no, that's, doctor's that's office. So we're not. We're not medical professionals here. But I am just saying, from what I witnessed, I actually watched that clip of that minor league game and it didn't look good. That's just my my two cents on it. That's all I've got for this week, Tony. Though I'm I am burnt out. Um, I can't wait to gear up for spring training. Though you know, we talk about how much this organization upsets me, but you know, it's an annual trip. Probably going to go every year for as long as I can. So. Um, I'll be bringing the updates next week. No, absolutely, Johnny. I think it's it's a good time to close it out. Um, uh, you guys haven't heard John's voice, uh, Shy Sox Janda. He is gone. A um, little bit of a technical issue on his side. But uh, I think that's all we have this week for Shy Sox Weekly. Uh, Johnny, um, I think we broke down everything that we needed to. 
Um, let's close it out. Everybody, thank you for turning in to Shy Sox Weekly, episode 31. Uh, let's go White Sox. Let's go Sox. <laughs>